Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers. And most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. My name is Rick Bennett, and this is Gospel Tangents. But for that's not your name. <laughs> the, be- the best source for uh, Mormon... Oh. History, science, and theology. History, science, and theology. And first daily Mormon history podcast, I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to introduce Scott Vance. Scott's actually a longtime listener here at Gospel Tangents, and uh, I'm excited to have him on the show. He recently spoke at the uh, Society for the Scientific Study of Religion here in Salt Lake City, Utah, and uh, gave a fascinating presentation on... Um, organizations that are kind of affiliated with the church. and You won't want to miss this conversation. Check it out. Welcome to Gospel Tangents. I'm excited to have a good friend and longtime listener. And uh, why don't you go ahead and tell us who you are and why you're in Salt Lake City. My name is uh, Scott Vance. I'm visiting Salt Lake for the SSSR conference, the Society for the Scientific Study of Religion. Um, they just had a conference in here this last weekend, and I'm interested in Mormon studies, so I decided to attend. All right. Well, not just attend. You presented a paper. I did present a paper, yes. And we want to talk about that paper. In fact, you might have to let me lend me the slides. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We can do that. So tell us about your paper. So I um, discussed some concepts around support organizations uh, of the Mormon Church that are not officially affiliated, but which have close ties to the Mormon Church. And I listed a number of organizations, such as the More Good Foundation, such as FAIR, previously FAIR Mormon, but now I think they're just called FAIR, uh, the Interpreter Magazine, the Woodsell Foundation, and who else? Uh, Book of Mormon Central, of course. And I talked a little bit about how each of these organizations has um, some ties to the church, um, both financial ties in certain cases, in certain cases, use of facilities, in other cases, um, very close connections uh, between different personnel. Some of these organizations rely heavily on uh, personnel who uh, are employed by BYU. And so I talked about these ties and how these organizations support the mission of the church and why the church chooses to keep these organizations outside of the main official body of the church. Right. Now, before we jump into your presentation, Uh um, let's get your background. Sure. Where where did you go to... 
bachelor's, master's, anything like that? Sure, sure. So I, I grew up in Washington State, uh, went and did a bachelor's at BYU. Oh, you're a cougar. I, I didn't know that. I was a cougar indeed. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so studied there between, uh, went there in 1992, fall of 92. Um, after a year, I went on a mission to Japan. Served for two years in the Tokyo South Mission. Konnichiwa. Akonbawa. O genki desu ka? Okagisame ne genki desu. That's too much Japanese. I just, I just did everything. Sukiyaki. <laughs> so anyway, uh, you went on a mission to Japan. I did, yes. And then what happened? Uh, after that, returned to BYU. Um, graduated uh, two years later in physics um, oh, with a wow. minor in Japanese and a minor in math. Oh, no wonder we get along so well. Well, you know. <laughs> I minored in physics and majored in math. There you go. Yeah. You just went to the wrong school. I mean, yeah, well, I went to Weber. The, yeah. People don't know that's the Lord's University. Well, my mom did, evidently, because she went to Weber as well. Oh, wow. Your mom must be cool. Yeah, she, she was. She unfortunately <laughs> has passed at this point. But yeah. Oh, yeah, mine too. Yeah. That's terrible. Well, cool. So you majored in physics. I did. And then I thought you were an engineer or something. I am an engineer. Uh, so after that, I went to Stanford University. I got a master's in mechanical engineering. Oh, and worked. the cardinal. Yeah. Yep. So when BYU plays Stanford, who do you root for? <laughs> you don't care. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I always say choose the red. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So master's at Stanford. Okay. Yes. Uh, and then uh, graduated from that program and went to work as a mechanical engineer. Um, worked as a mechanical engineer for about three years and then decided to be an electrical engineer. Oh, wow. Um, so that's what I've done since that time. I've worked as an electrical engineer, um, kind of picking up things as I go along. I do antenna design by day and Mormonism by night. Oh, wow. That's awesome. And you've been a longtime listener. I should let our listeners go. Um, Scott helped me get my first second camera. <laughs> Back in the day. So, uh, and he also, if you notice the Urim and Thummim, Scott, did you 3D print that or how did that work? No, I, I did that. I turned that on a lathe. I, so I do watchmaking as my other pastime. And, oh, wow. Uh, so I have a couple lathes at home. And so I turned the lenses and then, yeah. Wow. Very cool. Very cool. So Scott is a long and loyal listener. And clearly a scholar of Mormonism if he's presenting at a scientific conference of religion, right? Somewhat. I, everyone else there has a, has a PhD in sociology, um, but they let me present, and I, I enjoy spending time with them and, and learning what I can. Yeah, it was super fun. It's the first time. Well, you were the one that invited me. It's the first time sure. I've attended, and a very different group than MHA, but... Actually, there were a lot of people who knew me that I was surprised. So, Jana Reese was there, Thomas Murphy was there, uh, Quinn Monson, who I hadn't met before, so that was exciting. So, uh, yeah, there was a strong contingent from BYU this year. Yeah, um, yeah. So, super fun conference, and uh, you know, we are the best source of Mormon science and history, and we're going to be talking about both of those today. Today, so. Uh, so tell us more about your presentation. How did you get involved in trying to research the More Good Foundation and the Book of Mormon Central and these sorts of things? Sure. So I, I, it's, it's no secret, and it's been published for at least six or seven years, that the LDS Foundation and, and various LDS affiliated groups were donating some funds to the More Good Foundations. So there's public records, 990s, and people published this on, online. Um, I was interested in the topic, and I tried to explore that further. So I went through and pulled all the financial records that were publicly available, 
Um, and then I've listened to not only your podcast, but also hundreds of hours of other people's podcasts, um, trying to learn what I can about these organizations and how they interact with the church, um, just to try to understand that relationship. Yeah. So it's interesting because they claim to be independent, but they're kind of funded by the church too, and so it's kind of fuzzy? It's, it's very fuzzy. Um, there are some funding ties, and those funding ties, it's not 100% funded by the church. In fact, in many cases, we find that the funding may make up only 20% of the total donations. Um, the largest source of funding seems to come from private donors, um, mostly wealthy members of the LDS church. Um, mostly entrepreneurs, largely from the Provo or area, people who have made it big and comfortably retired and have some extra cash and have an interest in, in helping to support the Mormon church. Okay. So, uh, you know, you were talking about groups and you said some groups are just fine. Yeah, you talked about the PTA. Sure. Talk, tell, tell us more about that. Sure. So, um, the, the thesis of the paper is that within organizations, sometimes you have these not unofficial groups. Um, so an example that I listed in the presentation, I listed two examples. One was the PTA, because the PTA is not a part of the school system. It's not funded by the school system. It's a group of volunteers that just decided that, hey, we're going to help the school out. And we're going to do that by supporting parties, by buying materials for the teachers. And so there's a relationship there. They're clearly associated with the school, but they're not officially a part of the school. Um, and the breadth of that relationship depends, and the depth of that relationship depends on which organization we're talking about. So um, to list an infamous, um, really nasty example, there's the Wagner Group um, in, in Russia. Right. And they are funded 100% by the Russian government, um, but at least until recently, they claim to be 100% independent. Uh, and this allowed the Russian government to do some things which from a Western perspective, we would say were kind of nasty and awful, um, including military intervention in a number of countries, Sudan, Africa, um, Ukraine, obviously, uh, as well as interfering with the 2016 presidential election in the United States. Um, so the first point I tried to make in the presentation is there's nothing inherent in having an outside group be good or bad. That, that group can perform any number of functions, and just because it's outside of the main group doesn't mean that it's nefarious. It can also be your local PTA, just a lot of people who are trying to, you know, help a, a cause that they're devoted to. Okay. And so, yeah, so can we look at the More Good Foundation, Book of sure. Mormon Central, and some of these others as the same vein? Not Wagner. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. So, so not Wagner at all. Um, in the case of all of these foundations associated with the Mormon Church, uh, not all of them, most of them as far as I can tell, are started by members who are kind of enthusiasts who want to help the church. Uh, they generally know somebody in church leadership or have some connection there in order to be able to maybe get an unofficial blessing from the church and maybe um, get some direction. And the level of direction seems to vary a lot by organization. Certain organizations, I, I consider the More Good Foundation and Book of Mormon Central as having really close ties to the LDS church and clearly access to information. Uh, one thing that I didn't bring out in the presentation, but uh, which I do bring out in the written version, is that uh, somebody, a group of people from Book of Mormon Central um, were meeting with the secretary of the Quorum of Twelve Apostles. And this is somebody pretty high up in the church that's, mm -hmm. that's giving them feedback and direction. Um, and 
we know of at least one meeting where that occurred. Um, so, so clearly there's some direction, some interaction there. Okay. So continue on. Uh, so another example of the interaction, uh, you have John Johnson at the More Good Foundation, um, who, according to Jesse Say, who's interviewed on uh, Mormon Stories, um, has a badge, which allows him to get into the church office building. And according to that interview, he uses it regularly. So you have somebody who's ostensibly not employed by the church, but happens to have a badge and can go in and out basically at will. Um, so to, to me, this is just an example of, of direction and a closer association than you get based on the website. And just so you guys know, LDS Church isn't paying a dime to Gospel Tangents. So. <laughs> You're missing out. <laughs> I am missing out. <laughs> you don't know the right people. <laughs> I am excited that I talked a lot to BYU professors and things like that. So, But yeah, no monetary compensation at all. Yeah. So if you want to donate, come on. <laughs> <laughs> you need to talk to the More Good Foundation. There you go. <laughs> well, and it's funny you mentioned that because I did not realize until your presentation that Saints Unscripted is owned by More Good Foundation? It, it is the More Good Foundation. So basically, it, it is one of their activities. They, they fully support that. In fact, they have multiple YouTube channels. That's only one of them. I didn't list the other ones in the presentation. But, oh. But there are a couple other. Go ahead and share. Uh, I don't have those at the top of okay, my head. Okay, that's but, fine. Um, but they're very well produced. I can, I can update the presentation and add those in. But Saints Unscripted is 80, 90% of their content, and then the other ones are relatively new channels that I've only seen appear within the last 6 to 12 months. Okay. Midnight Mormons? I interesting you bring up Midnight Mormons. I have looked for a connection there. I have been unable to find a connection. I, I'm, I'm still completely uncertain with the Midnight Mormons. Um, I think they've changed their name, haven't they? They have changed their name to Ward Radio. I Ward believe. Radio, that sounds right. Yeah. Um, and they're an interesting group because originally... They were funded by FAIR, oh. which, which is funded in part by the church, but mostly by volunteer funds um, coming from members. Uh, FAIR commissioned them to, uh, that group of individuals essentially, to do the CES response videos, you may recall from a few mm -hmm. years back, that were up for about six months and then pulled from the internet. Um, evidently, there was some negative feedback from Salt Lake City uh, that basically told fair to know these videos or not. Well, sure. and I think Midnight Mormons can be pretty crass. They use some non-church language, I will say that. They, they do, they, and they, they kindly beep that out, but they let people know that they're edgy enough to swear, but then they beep it out, Okay. I think. Uh, anyway. So they're trying to be edgy, and then they were too edgy, and the church was like, no. Well, so the videos with response to the CES letter, uh, I think were too antagonistic, too confrontational. Um, I think they just left a bad taste in people's mouth. Similar to the way that some of the articles uh, published in Farms Review some years ago uh, kind of put a stain on that organization. Mm -hmm. um, so I think the church wanted to distance themselves from that. So Fair took those off, off the internet. Also, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Nemo the Mormon, uh, who's a podcaster in the UK. I know him. He did. You know of him. Yeah, he started in response to these um, CES response videos. So that's, that's how he got his, uh, his start. And I, I think his content was fairly compelling, and I think that was also another reason why people became embarrassed by the videos. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I, I know of no connection between uh, Ward Radio and the LDS Church. I have not been able to show any financial connection or other connection. Okay. 
Do you think there is some under the table connection or no? I have no idea. It's it's so the thesis of my presentation is that the LDS church is is dealing with an issue which many other organizations around the world a lot of churches are dealing with right now which is lower growth and um, and struggling with retention of young people. So in order to maintain the young people one strategy is to entertain them. And Ward Radio does that. It provides entertainment and content, particularly for those who are a little bit more on the right, fundamentalist-ish, whatever you want to call that. Okay. Branch of or the super orthodox. Yeah. Because I don't sure. think they're like, let's go start polygamy tomorrow or anything. No, no, no. no. They're not pro-polygamy by any stretch of the imagination, but they are very much supportive of Trump and Trump causes and things. So they're they're politically fairly far right as well, in my opinion. Okay. All right. Well, um, continue on with your presentation. Sure. So the first thesis that I present is that the, the LDS Church has conflated growth with truthfulness of the movement. Um, I went ahead and quoted a few church leaders, and really you see a series of quotes between about 1979 and about 1983, uh, coming from General Conference. You have about eight different times when growth is mentioned during that short time period. And I can, so David Haight said, uh, the motivating force behind the sustaining and vigorous growth of the church is that it is true. Uh, Spencer W. Kimball said, uh, in the decades of the 70s, we have seen great strides in the growth of the church. The Lord continues to bless his church and this growth will accelerate in the future. So depending on your belief structure, you could have seen that as a prophecy for continued church growth. And I remember anecdotally growing up in the 80s, attending church every Sunday, growth was a common topic over the pulpit and people talked about, we are growing so fast and it's because we are true that we are growing so fast. Um, so if you conflate these two, that's great as long as you're growing, but if you stop growing, then does the church stop becoming true? <laughs> that, that's, that's the risk, right? Right. And, uh, and the last decade or so has seen slower growth, um, in some cases, some could argue negative growth in certain markets. I'm calling them markets, you can call them regions, areas of the world, whatever. But uh, Europe, in particularly, has been hard hit. Japan has been hard hit, and the United States and Canada have been hit to some degree as well, as, mm -hmm. as Australia. Not Utah County, though, I'll tell you that. No, in fact, a separate topic, totally unrelated, but I see a reverse migration. People who have migrated out of Utah 10, 20 years ago seem to be remigrating into Utah County. I can attest because it's growing like crazy in Utah County. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. It, it, Except for Orem. Orem's kind of dying, but the rest of the county is really? is kind of, yeah. Okay. Interesting. So, I don't know why that is. I think Orem's just getting old. They don't have enough young kids to replace the older population. Huh. Okay. So, anyway, so we shouldn't be conflating church growth with the church is true. Well, I I'm saying it's dangerous to do that. Because mm -hmm. if you do that, then you have to keep growing or else you have to, you know, face the, the possibility of the church not being true. And, and so for the church, it made perfect sense to do it in the 80s because we were growing and, and it was easy to sustain that narrative. Um, but after the year 2000, when things become much tougher for churches, it's, it's much harder to sustain that narrative. Okay. That being said, the church has continued to maintain its growth narrative. Uppdorf um, 2014. Uh, David Bednar, most recently in 2023 at the Silicon Stokes Conference, has said that the church is still growing. Um, 
Just in Africa. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, they don't say that, but but yes, it's growing in Africa. It's growing in the Philippines. It's probably growing in, in certain areas of Central and South America. It's probably struggling in a lot of the other places that I mentioned. Okay. Keep going. All right. So, so there were predictions in the 80s and the 90s, and a lot of these predictions said that the church would grow by leaps and bounds um, as much as, say, 30% per decade. Um, and that would result in, uh, according to one prediction, 157 million um, by the mid-21st century. Huge numbers. Um, and one was published in uh, 1993 in the Ensign magazine, uh, saying that by the year uh, 2000, there would be 12 million and 35 million by 2020. So the 12 million was pretty close, wasn't it? Yeah, I believe so. I haven't looked at the data, but yes. But the 35 million is way off. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And, and, you, and you see the, the slopes changing and inverting and the growth rates year by year going down. Because we're at 16, 17 million right now. It 17 like. officially and some change. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So roughly half. Half of what we should have been. Of what we should have been three years ago. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Right. What do you think the reason is for that? Well, a number of reasons. And there are people who've studied this topic more than I have. Um, declines in birth rates, right? If you have fewer kids, there's fewer people coming to church. Um, there's been disaffiliation. There's been increasing rates of disaffiliation or, or people leaving the church, uh, particularly among young people. Um, ages, uh, they start losing faith around age 12, 14, 16. I think that but, Jana Reese yeah. has found that. Yep. Yeah, yep. but they physically leave the movement generally when they move out of the house because that's when they have the opportunity to choose for themselves. Mm-hmm. So around age 18, 20, 22 is when a lot of people leave the church. Um, and, and some of those, as, as researchers have noted, after they get married, they decide to come back, but it's not a large enough number to, to affect the overall trends. Okay. You know, I, I talked to Matt Bowman recently, and uh, one of the things that he said was people weren't leaving religion per se. They were embracing tarot cards and new age and that sort of a thing. Do you agree with that? I, I disagree. Um, based on some comments made at the, uh, at the conference we just attended, which is to say that people are doing tarot cards, yes, but that's kind of like playing Monopoly or playing Uno. It's, it's more for entertainment. I don't think there's the same level of belief and spirituality involved when they're pulling out the tarot cards. Um, I could be wrong on this. There, there are scholars that know more on this topic than I do. Well, because I actually asked that question to Ryan Craig. And do you remember yeah. his answer? Yeah, well, his answer is what I kind of paraphrased. Yeah, yeah. so I'm <laughs> quoting Ryan Craig because well, he's smarter than I am. He was a little stronger. He was like, yeah, yeah that's not really true. Yeah, he's, he's studied this topic in, in far greater depth than I have, and, and I understand he's maybe even presented to the church uh, on this topic. Oh, he did? That's, that's my understanding. I, I will let him uh, go into that if he chooses to Yeah, I to came so. to his presentation late, yeah. but, uh, so I missed that part, but uh, I was there for the Q&A, so that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, while we're on the topic of disaffiliation, because there was that session that was on that very topic, and it wasn't necessarily LES-related. Um, but I also asked Matt Bowman, how do we get more butts in the seats? Do you have an answer for that question? Uh, 
I, I can answer it. Am I correct? Who knows? But, <laughs> but I can throw out some ideas. Okay. Um, I, from what I understand, uh, both from personal experience and from, from the literature, I think that social engagement is very important. Um, and I think that the decrease in the number of pageants, the decrease in the road shows, the decrease in even the fundraising events. When I was a kid, um, the Relief Society had to raise their own funds and they held a bazaar every year. And it was awesome. We had amazing donuts. There were quilt raffles, um, fishing for the kids, the, the whole nine yards. And, and that was just a fun way to come together as a community. Um, granted, it put a lot of stress and strain on, on members in, in certain ways. But I think people would react positively to more of that. I know I, I have some kids who are not seriously engaged with the church. But if there's a fun activity, they're there. Um, I, I think by building community more, the church would be more successful in retention. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Scott Vance. In our next conversation, we're going to talk about two-hour church and why Scott thinks that that's not a good thing for retention. In terms of retention, I'm skeptical. I mean, you even see this in the 1980s. And in fact, the church published some of the data on this in the 1980s when they went from the essentially all-day church meetings and, and breaks in between. And primary in the middle of the week. Yeah, and all of that to the three-hour block on Sunday. Um, the church published an article in the Enzyme saying that their sociologists had researched it and these were the positive effects and these were the negative effects. And the negative effects were that um, single members and people who traveled further missed um, the communion that they felt at church on Sunday when they had the shorter block me meetings. Thanks for listening, and I hope you to continue to enjoy Gospel Tangents. Consider becoming a Patreon or go to gospeltangents.com shop, and you can get a cool tie, a hat, or even a nice mug. You can also get a sweatshirt, so check it out at gospeltangents.com shop. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger. Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. With everything you have on your plate, Earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.